How could I address them also in a nice and kind of a fun way? Sweetie pie, pumpkin, all boobala. <laughs> it's totally your call, Mom. Whatever you want to call our audience, I'm sure they'll be fine with it. Well, sweetheart, honey bun, boobala listeners, that's my mom, and I am your host, Rebecca. And this is Advice for Mom. This episode is all about starting something big. Whether you want to make progress on a creative project, a professional pursuit, or an emotional endeavor, getting started is oftentimes the hardest part. This episode answers questions sent in by our listeners. Pass the pastels, parental guidance, and a girl who just wants to have fun. Dot, 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 and make money. And they're all great questions, huh, Mama? They're really good questions, and we really gave some thorough answers, I think. We sure did, especially thanks to my mom's 35 years as a psychologist and family therapist. Just wait till you hear her advice. Yes, wait, just wait. We're flipping the format a bit for the summer, and we'll talk about why that is a little later on. But for now, all you need to know is that you're going to hear the question sent in by a listener like you and read by a host like me, and we'll start with some advice from a special guest. Then we'll shoot it back over to my mom for her advice. And never fear, that will definitely be followed by me giving her a hard time with some other daughter pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. And don't forget that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. Starting something big can be really difficult, but I for one think that summer is a great time to start making progress on our projects. I know I have a different kind of energy in the summer. Maybe because people kind of leave you alone in the summertime. That's a really good point. We might be able to sneak away and carve out a little extra time for ourselves while others are on vacation or having lazy days. So it's um, a more, oh, let's get outside. Let's do four things today instead of, do we really have to do two things today Ugh. in the wintertime? So, um, yeah, I, I think a different energy. I, I would guess most people have a different lifestyle in the summertime. I kind of feel like the difference between doing two things and doing four things is about being your own tough boss. So, Mama and dear listeners, with that in mind, I can't wait to introduce you to someone who is starting some really big things and is definitely her own tough boss. She's got some great advice for all of us as we start starting something big. So we'll hear from her and then we'll take some questions. Sound like a plan, Mama? You always come up with good plans. Thank you. You're the nicest boss I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how the tables have turned. Yeah, well, I had to get that off my chest. (laughs) Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. I'm a senior tech writer for BuzzFeed and the author of the novel Startup and the co-host of the podcast, Matt and Dori's Excellent Adventure. Yes, and an excellent podcast name that is, by the way. But let's first start out talking about your book. This is your first novel, which is huge. And you wrote the book about starting something big, a business. And to top it all off, as I understand it, you wrote it in a really big and intense way. 
Can you tell us a little bit about that? I've been a journalist for 13 years, and I decided that I needed like my own creative project that had nothing to do with my day job at BuzzFeed. So I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to write every day for the month of January. That is quite a resolution. Can you tell us more about what it actually takes to do that? So I woke up early every morning and turned the internet off and I would put my phone in the other room and I would just write for like at least half an hour, often closer to an hour. At the end of January, I had like 60 pages. Like suddenly it was like, oh, I actually have like a substantial body of work, which is Something I also tell people when they're like, well, I don't have time. And I'm like, you, you don't need that much time. Like, if you can consistently do it for even half an hour a day, like, you will end up with something good. It might take you a little longer than you think, but like, you will get there. So how did you keep yourself on track for that? I kind of felt like I needed to quantify what I was doing. So I kept this spreadsheet of how many words I was writing per day, which like I know sounds kind of counterintuitive, like that might put pressure on you. But for me, it was actually good because I felt like I could see my progress instead of just being like, oh, I'm writing into the void. I was like, oh, this day that I thought I quote unquote wasn't productive, I actually wrote like 800 words. And so that was actually helpful for me. Now, look, like your mileage may vary. That might stress some people out a lot. But for me, it was almost like calming to every day be like, this is like how many words I wrote. (laughs) So you really reframed expectations for yourself. I just started writing. And I think that actually not having those pressures and expectations on myself really helped me like be able to write and not have writer's block. Like I think so much writer's block comes from the pressure that you put on yourself to have something be really good. And I just didn't have that because I was like, whatever, like no one, (laughs) like no one might ever see this. I really like your way of bypassing writer's block. Writing never seems as easy as it should be. I think it's really easy to like romanticize writing, but it is also a job and a craft and something that like you need to work on you can't just like wait to be inspired by the muse Uh, this comes up a bit later in the show too but what are your thoughts on the muse actually i think a lot of times the muse strikes when you like allow yourself to work on something a lot and mess up and this is something we say at buzzfeed a lot too which is that quantity influences quality if you're writing every day you know that some days are going to be better than others. Some some things you write are going to be better than others. But at least you have that body of work. In my experience, it's better to have something that you can work with, even if it's not as good as you want it to be, than to have nothing. That's my philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that philosophy. And you're actually starting something big with your husband. Well, actually two things. You want to tell us a little bit about that? In October... We started a podcast called Matt and Dory's Excellent Adventure. It's a podcast about us doing IVF and wanting to have a child. My husband, who has been a podcaster for like 10 years and has been a stand-up comedian and like just is sort of like in this world where talking about things that are very personal and sometimes painful is like mind for comedy. And he was very open about it in a way that I was sort of like, oh, 
this is actually like a better way (laughs) of thinking about this and talking about it. And I remember he plays in a weekly poker game and he came home once after the poker game and he was like, oh, so like three or four of the guys I play poker with, like they're all going through IVF. And I was like, what? Like, that's crazy. And none of them had ever talked about it before. Like, no one tells you that. You just see their, like, baby pictures on Facebook. And you're like, oh, great, they had a baby. But you don't know that it took them, like, four years and, you know, $70,000 or whatever to have this child. And I was like, oh, like, we should be talking about this more. So what's it like to make a podcast while you're trying to do IVF uh, and sharing all your emotions with your audience. When you say it like that, it sounds it sounds like an insane thing to do. But, um, you know, in terms of, like, my marriage, it has given us this opportunity every week to just talk to each other for, like, an hour and a half with no interruptions, no, like, checking your phone or watching TV or just doing something else. Like, it also gives us permission to, like, ask each other, like, pretty personal questions that, like, probably wouldn't just wouldn't come up in the course of a daily conversation. Like, even something like, how did that make you feel? You know, and oftentimes, like, Matt will say something that I have not, that I'm not expecting um, or that, you know, we certainly haven't talked about. And so I think it allows us to, like, work through a lot of stuff in a way that we probably wouldn't be working through if we didn't have the podcast. So that's been really nice. I think Dory is really on to something with this notion of setting aside small amounts of time to have these big conversations. We'll actually hear a little bit more about that later on in this episode. But for now, let's start answering some questions about starting something big. Here's our first question. This year, I graduated from art school, and I'm proud to say that I am fully employed as a junior product designer. Sometimes I miss doing art projects, but now I don't know what I want to draw or paint or sculpt. In college, we always had fun projects to work on, but now I'm at a loss. On the other hand, I'm also at a loss for time. Is it possible to get back into art with a full-time job? Do I have to wait until I'm old and have earned it and then pick up a paintbrush to become the next Wayne Tebow? Winky face. Signed, Pass the Pastels. And a quick art history side note, Wayne Tebow is an American painter who makes the most delicately colorful paintings of cakes, ice cream cones, and clowns. Fun fact, Wayne is 96 years old and still going strong. So that's what she meant. Winky face. For this question, we start out with advice from an artist who has navigated a similar situation to Pass the Pastels. And she has ended up with a -a one-of-a-kind career that she loves. Wendy McNaughton is a New York Times best-selling illustrator and graphic journalist. You've probably seen Wendy's illustrations in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Lucky Peach, Bon Appetit, and my personal cozy favorite, Base Camp Hotels. But she didn't just jump out of art school and into the success that she enjoys today. Pass the pastels. I totally feel you. Everything seems like it's just, it's now or never. And if you don't draw today, then you're never going to be an artist again. And you know what? And that is the furthest thing from the case. So I went to art school and I wanted to be an artist 
I didn't quite know what that meant because I wasn't taught like the business of being an artist per se or anyway I got out of school I wanted to be an artist but I got a job and pretty much from that moment for the next eight years I didn't draw anything I made advertising or I made some social work stuff I went to school for that all these different things I was doing um, but I wasn't drawing anymore which is the thing that I really love to do Anyway, eight years after I graduated, I was living in the East Bay, taking the subway into my job. And one day I was on the BART and I was looking around and everybody sitting there looked exactly like these life drawing models that I used to draw. So I had like a moleskin notebook and I had a pen and I pulled it out and I started drawing people. And the drawing totally sucked. It was so bad, but it was like old love that like immediately just opened up again. It was such a natural feeling. And then I started drawing every day on the way to work and evening on the way back home. And what is that, like three or four years later, I ended up leaving my job to be a full-time illustrator, which I've been doing now for six years. So I think a lot of creative people have this issue. Like, I think that we have really big ambitions and big ideas, and we want to be able to express our feelings and our thoughts. And then all of a sudden we're faced with having to start. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do. So one thing is, if you don't feel compelled to draw in like an isolated space, you can totally take a class. You can do it with other people. There's structured environments. I don't think that anybody works in an unstructured environment. I think that even like some crazy rock band goes into the studio, like, you know, they're metalheads or whatever, and they're going in there and we think that they're just thrashing around and banging shit against the wall. And maybe they are, but they're doing it like from this time until this time because they have the sound engineer for that much time. And so they're only using these two guitars and, you know, they have a structure that they've figured out in some way. And every creative person and pursuit is done with a structure. The trick is, is that in the past, past the pastels, somebody else has given you that structure. Now you have to give it to yourself. Going back and forth on Bart and when I first started drawing again, I needed some kind of accountability. At the end of every night, the piece that I had drawn, I would scan it and I would put it on a block. And I didn't tell anybody about this block, but it was done. It was out in the world. It was finished. And that way I had done something I could move on to the next thing. Well, little did I know that people can actually just stumble onto your blog and then people end up sharing it. And before I knew what was really going on, there were people who were writing to me and they were asking if, you know, they could commission work or if they could buy things. So that structure and that accountability that I had set up for myself ended up being the foundation of my career. Figuring out what we're interested in is actually kind of daunting, especially when we've just come out of school where all these people have told us what we're supposed to be interested in. Well, you're in a position, Pastor Pastel, where you get to figure out what excites you. Um, and you don't have to figure that out immediately. It's not, you know, your big idea isn't going to come to you. It comes like through doing things that are unexpected, through exploring things that you haven't explored before, um, through following like opportunities and saying yes to creative opportunities, forcing yourself to try like new mediums, whether that be like a metaphorical sense, like conversations with strangers or through literal, like a different kind of paint. Um, but slowly but surely you'll figure out the things that actually spark your interest. And once you do, um, try doing projects around that because that is honestly who you are. And through making artwork about that, you'll deepen your sense of self and your interaction with the world. That was the artist and author, Wendy McNaughton. And now, here's some advice from my mom. 
Thank you so much for your question, Pass the Pastels. And thank you, Wendy, for your answer. I loved hearing it, and it comes from your real-life experience, which is awesome. Well, everything does change. What was helpful to you in college is no longer built into your life. So in college, you came to expect those wonderful projects. But if you hold that same expectation now, now that you've graduated, I think you'll be disappointed and maybe disheartened. The way I think of it is there's a mystery in your life. It's fun to have a mystery in your life. I'm excited for you about this prospect of having real life come to you and enlighten you with an idea of how to proceed with your art. But it may take a while. So it is true that the time pressures are, I think, the biggest challenge in adult life. I'm reminding you to call to your mind the fact that you do have a full-time job. First of all, consider saying thanks to the part of you that got that job. That's an accomplishment. And I invite you to use that creativity that we know you have to solve this problem. And maybe your first project could be to create a colorful banner uh, that you might put in your kitchen or in your bedroom. The banner might say, art is fun and I want some. What matters most in this situation is how you envision this challenge. If you add some fun to your art now, when your schedule is tight with work, then later on, when your schedule might be even tighter, your art will already be integrated into your life. It'll be an important part, and you won't have to figure out how to bring it into your life. So this might be the opportune time. So doing your art is part of your self-care. Finally, Mama B, B is saying to you and to all listeners, having fun in your life is helpful to staying mentally healthy. And I don't know that a lot of people think of it that way, but that's how I think of it. Now I'd like us to talk directly to my favorite expert on bringing art into her life. Rebecca, what have you to say? Let's play Mother Daughter Pickleball. Thank you for that amazing introduction, Mama. You're very welcome. It's truly fitting, isn't it? <laughs> I guess it is. I uh, When I first read this question, I really connected with it. I really mm-hmm. felt strongly that this is a really important question to tackle for anyone who has ever experienced creativity in their lives and feels like that's part of their identity, whether it was just being good in your creative writing class in high school or, you know, painting in a studio in college, it can be really, really difficult when you transition into that grown-up world, that adult world. How do you bring that identity with you? How do you make sure you're not just like, you know, one of those uh, high school musical types who never went on stage after, after graduation? It is a challenge. As you might recall, I was kind of that high school painter, and I haven't picked up a paintbrush since high school. Mm. I mean, it definitely brings me some sadness that I haven't painted since. But for me, it was actually a very meditated decision. <laughs> After college, at least, I thought, like, 
I want to be a painter and I want to be a singer and I want to be a designer and <laughs> one of those three things I can get a job in. I realized that like probably no one's going to want to see like a 65-year-old pop singer the way that they might have respect for a 65-year-old painter. Hmm. <laughs> so it might sound a little ridiculous, but that's how I decided that it's okay if I don't pursue painting for the next couple decades, at least for me personally. Well, that's fascinating, Rebecca. <laughs> Maybe that's not something I've ever told you, Mama. No, it's not. It's not. You've never mentioned that. And um, wow, so a very rational decision on, on that. And I think it's really important to know what of your passions can be a part-time pursuit. Uh, even working full-time, I was doing music part-time, and now I make the podcast part-time. But I think all that part-time stuff adds up. I, I think it's really important for us to take breaks, too. After I finished my PhD, I did not feel like reading anything. Not anything. Not a magazine. Not anything. For many, many, many months. And I, I just gave it up for quite a while. So uh, there may be a, a lull like that in people's lives. There is kind of this post-college, post-education downer that a lot of people go through. I think it's very common. Universities are so, there's such an unusual setting with so many factors that are, don't exist in the real world. I have to give you a hard time. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've, I've, I've sort of braced for it, I think. Okay. Art is fun, and I want some. <laughs> oh, so, so cheesy. I, I love that I've gotten to the point where I don't even have to give you a hard time. I just repeat back something you said, and then you can give yourself a hard time. But, you know, I, I think the point of bringing whatever is interesting, color, excitement, into our everyday life and, and just, you know, put it on the fridge or, or place it in our kitchen is a way of reminding ourselves about the things that we would forget about if we didn't sort of have that banner. So, of course, that was my point. Could you just give me a little credit for that point? Art is fun and you want some. I mean, cheesy but true. <laughs> cheesy but true. Here's our next question. A few years ago, I started tinkering with audio and making radio stories. It quickly became my passion. My day job is totally unrelated to audio, but I've kept that fire burning by taking audio classes and building a community of fellow podcasters and radio producers. I even made a rule for myself that I'm not allowed to go to bed until I've worked on at least one of my audio projects. Almost every time I work on a project, I feel like I'm eating candy while opening Christmas presents. I love the freedom to make exactly what I want. Long story short, some changes at my day job accelerated my decision to devote a period of time to trying to take my passion in a professional direction. Last week I gave notice, and I'm starting to interview for audio-related gigs. I've never done anything related to audio for money before. I have also never made anything that wasn't exactly what I wanted to make. How do I bring my strong clarity about what I love into the reality of market forces, capitalism, and my limited experience? What's the best mindset I can have to step over the line from hobbyist to professional? Signed, a girl who just wants to have fun and make money. You know what I think you need? A girl who just wants to have fun and make money? I think you need to hear the story from someone who's done a similar thing. I'd like you to meet Atish. 
Hi, my name is Atish Mehta. I'm a full-time DJ slash producer, which means I fly around the world playing clubs and music festivals, and I produce music in my studio at home in San Francisco. Before I was a full-time DJ, I was uh, a software engineer, uh, writing computer code and building iPhone applications. And at the same time, I was DJing as a hobby. But uh, the last two years, I decided to make the jump and become a full-time DJ. I think one of the biggest benefits of doing something that's your hobby as opposed to your profession is you don't have to compromise. You can do things the way you want to do it without having to think about your audience or without having to think if this will make money. You can do it in a very pure way that really excites you and it's all about what you want to do. The, the first big thing to think about when avoiding compromises is money. Think about how much money you're making from your hobby right now. You need to think about how much money you have and how long your money will last. Uh, thinking about your living expenses, can you last one month, six months, or a year? The more money you have, the longer you can last without having to make these compromises. If you do get to the point where you start running low on money, this is often the time where you start making those compromises. Uh, for instance, if you're a photographer and you love doing fine art photography, you might be forced into taking photos at weddings and becoming a wedding photographer. So while it's true you are still taking photographs for a living, you're doing it in a way that doesn't inspire you and energize you day to day. And that can really drain you and make you less excited about what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying what you're doing now, then you might as well go back to the old stable job you had before. Uh, something else I'd consider you to think about is your relationship with your audience. When I was a hobbyist, even though I was a performer, I was really DJing for myself. It was something that I, I enjoyed doing. But once it became my career, my audience became a lot more important because my audience was paying my bills. So I have to keep them happy. So... Before you make the jump, you should think about your relationship between your hobby and your audience. Do you already have an audience who is aligned with what you're doing? Or when you need to think about your audience paying your bills, do you need to adjust what you're doing to keep them happy and to, and to keep things moving forward? Jumping into a new career is really scary. When I decided to make the jump into full-time DJing, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have experience as a full-time artist. There were a whole bunch of unknowns that I just didn't know how to handle. It opened up a whole bunch of time. So use this newfound time that you have to network and be aware of what's happening in your industry. That's how you can know if you're relevant and that's how you can keep yourself relevant. It's also important to check in on yourself every few months. Now that you're doing what you love, it's easy to get fully consumed and to want to do it all the time, but you actually might need to force yourself to take breaks, enjoy the weekends, spend time with your friends, go outside and do different things. Now that your hobby has become your full-time job, find another hobby. Uh, I, I noticed in my own life, I was completely consumed by DJing and music and I became a one-dimensional person. I didn't have any balance in my life. So try and find something else unrelated to what you're doing. And that will actually inspire you in, in your main job too and keep you excited day to day. I think the last important thing to think about is your exit strategy, which is does your hobby have a shelf life or a time span for how long you can do it? So even though you're beginning a new endeavor, it's important to always keep your eyes and ears open for things that can change. Could be taste in what's going in and out of style, could be technological changes, could be market forces or the economy. So always be aware of these things going on because that could affect how realistic your hobby is as a full-time career. A lot of the advice that I've given is unromantic. It's very practical. But I'm not doing this to discourage you from exploring your hobby. I'm doing this to hopefully prevent any unpleasant surprises. For me, making the jump from software engineer to DJ was one of the toughest decisions I ever made. It actually took me a year to come to that point to decide it makes sense. I'm super grateful to do what I love every day, and I hope you find the same satisfaction in what you do as well. 
Yes, may we all be so lucky. Thank you, Atish. And now, here's some advice from my mom. Thanks so much for your question. A girl who just wants to have fun and make some money. Since you just decided to leave your current job, you may be feeling relieved. But when I read your question, many questions form in my mind. Did you hate your day job? What was your job? How long were you at that job? Did you feel respected at that job? Do you live in an area where jobs are plentiful? Are you independently wealthy? If I heard your answers to these questions, I might be reassured to hear you say that you won't have trouble finding another job quickly. I would be very happy to hear that. Obviously, all my questions are aimed at trying to find out, you know, do you have a steady source of income? If you ask people who have been successful in careers, most of them will tell you that they worked long and hard to build that career. Often they worked at jobs outside their field to support themselves and also to gather together enough money and so forth to invest in building the foundation for a career or a business. I know that's exactly what I did. Um, so maybe I'm being kind of old-fashioned here, but, well, I guess I am sort of old-fashioned in some way. So as I read your question, there was a voice shouting in my head, Don't quit your day job! It's clear that you have many strengths, including you are able to discipline yourself, you're acknowledging your own competence, and you do experience a very deep resonance um, as you work on your audio stories. That passion will definitely energize you. And I'm happy for you that you have that kind of passion. <laughs> so today I'm pulling out some of my tried and true platitudes, but only the ones that specifically apply to you. Uh, my platitudes for today are lower your expectations. That should get a laugh from Rebecca. And then take a long-term view. So, of course, high standards are fine and good, but they can also get you into trouble by bringing you disappointment or, or loss of motivation if the expectations are not in keeping with the realities in your life. I am worried for you, uh, but I also feel hopeful that you will use your own doubts, the ones that you expressed in the question, as powerful guidance to protect you from disappointment and maybe moving in the wrong direction or moving too quickly. I'm, I'm really optimistic, mainly because of the question you asked toward the end of your question, and that is, what's the best mindset that I can have as I step over the line from hobbyist to professional? That is an excellent question. And you sum up the issue very nicely. So most important is to give it time. If you're impatient, then you'll probably become kind of dissatisfied and irritable, unless you have one of those resilient moods and resilient personalities that really never gets discouraged or irritated. I, I hope you do. I suggest also that you seek out uh, at least two or maybe three people that you admire and, and you respect 
who can guide you and mentor you. So, Rebecca, how many jobs have you had before you found your what I would call your niche? I think it's time for... Mother, daughter, pickle. That's a, that's a really good question because I've wanted to be a designer since I was 12. <laughs> you have. You definitely have. And you were dancing to Tina Turner when you were barely able to stand up and keep your balance. Yeah, I mean, go straight straight into the embarrassing zone. Well, I have photos to prove it. Yeah, I mean, that's what parenthood is about, gathering evidence to give your adult child a hard time. Oh, I'm glad I'm doing my job. <laughs> it sounds like you're advocating for something a little different than Atish does in his feedback. You're actually saying you want this fun gal to take a step back and maybe reconsider going back to the safety of a job? Yes. And that's the part of that I think is pretty old-fashioned of me, but um, I, I do feel it. I do think that strongly. But I think actually I'd almost advocate for something a little different than what Atish said about the wedding photography. His example was like, if you become a wedding photographer, you're doing what you love, but you're not doing it probably in the application that you love. Mm -hmm. And I would say that one of the amazing things about making money from your talents but not putting all your eggs in that basket mm -hmm. is that you can quarantine it. Like, you know, if there is an audio equivalent to shooting a wedding twice a month, that could be five days of work that pays for your month of living. And that, if you're a disciplined person, frees you up to pursue being a fine art photographer or whatever you love in those other days. So I actually think there's a lot of benefit to that. I really kept saying job, 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 but uh, I would include any kind of position where you can bring some money in and yet do some of the things you like. Yeah, so maybe we'll go back and just replace every time you say job, job, job with like consistent income source, consistent income source. <laughs> Okay. Roughly a year ago, coming up on the one-year anniversary of me quitting my job, is that maybe why you hear that so loud in your head when you read this question from this fun gal? Is it possibly because you never said it to me when I quit my job? My take on it, Rebecca, is that I was always very concerned about you being in any kind of job situation that would, you know, put you really into a double bind. I would always be concerned around those kinds of issues. But were you were you scared when I left my full-time like full-time work? I'm now actually on the 1 year anniversary of not having full-time work and just doing freelance and making a podcast with you. It's not always easy to maneuver through uh the quicksand, uh, I would say, but you know, when you quit certain jobs, it was after you'd tried everything you could to to be absolutely sure that you'd given it your best shot, you tried to negotiate and so forth. So you do it. <laughs> that is very diplomatically stated. I loved Atisha's advice. Like I thought it was very different than a lot of the advice that we give on this podcast because it was so structured. <laughs> so it was so logical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he almost didn't talk about emotions at all, but I think that's a really important perspective to get. It's a very business-oriented perspective for someone in this this kind of situation. Yes, 
and we should thank him appropriately for that his wonderful input. Yeah, I I took him some cookies that said merci and I signed it from you. I said, <laughs> this means thank you in French and they're from my mom. Shut the hell up. <laughs> I did. Our next question is definitely about starting something big. But it's also about the big decision that comes first. Here's our last question. I have a question about families, or rather, non-families. I've been in a very positive relationship for the past five years. The only thing we differ on is the question of having children. My partner would currently rather to not have children. I personally waffle back and forth on the issue. Each option tortures me. I feel like this is the biggest decision of my life, and sometimes it's all-consuming. I'm afraid of losing out and regretting it later in life. But on the other hand, I don't want to leave this positive relationship behind, especially when I'm not sure about having children myself. It's gone so far that I'm having difficulty being supportive to my friends who are planning to have a family. I'm afraid that seeing their lives will trigger me and send me into a thinking spiral. Part of the problem for me is that in our culture, women are expected to want to have children, and I am lacking positive role models for a child-free life. My partner and I have a big open talk each year where we decide whether we want to have children. This helps me let go a little bit in between. Otherwise, I'd be asking myself even more. My partner says he's leaning towards no, but that his opinion might change, but it's not very likely. We both embrace this yearly opportunity, but I want a strategy to let go more in between. How do I embrace the chaos and unpredictability of life without the constant fear of making the wrong decision? Signed, Parental Guidance. I've got good news for you, Parental Guidance. I think I found the perfect couple to give you advice on this question. I'd like you to meet Zach and Shira. Hi, Parental Guidance. I'm Zach, here with my wife, Shira. We are the creators and hosts of the podcast Pregnant Pause with Zach and Shira, which is all about this decision that you're describing, this decision whether or not to have kids. We wrestled with it, we talked about it, we spent a lot of time thinking about it, interviewing a bunch of other people about this liminal in-between stage that you find yourself in. We were very much in this situation for a long time. I grew up with two very loving parents, but once Shira and I started thinking about whether or not we wanted to have kids, there were a lot of reasons I have, like you might also, about why the non-kid route sounded great. A lot of the question about having kids is there's definitely a lot of societal pressure that like this is the expectation. There's also pressure in terms of the relationship, like you and your partner being on the same page about that. You mentioned it's been hard to find role models when I think having a role model of doing this alternative path is something important. And I think an important book that Zach actually read for the podcast was... Um, so it's called Selfish, Shallow, and Self-Absorbed, 16 Writers on the Decision Not to Have Kids. And the editor of that book, um, Megan Dom, actually appeared on episode four of our show. So you can find a handful of role models just in that very book alone. Another thing on that track of finding role models that you may or may not know. I have a Google alert set to child free and there like every day there are people writing about their struggles with this. So just know that parental guidance like this is a very very common thing. And I think that being reflective on yourself is like is this something that resonates with me? Is this something that I'm like, "Hey, 
when I hear these other people talk about being child-free, like that rings true to me. For me, where we ultimately did decide to have children, what was a big kicker, big thing in that decision is that when I spoke to other people that had kids and had the experience of having children, that's something that I wanted. I could understand the child-free lifestyle and there's definitely a lot of pros to it. But like in my head or my gut, when I heard both sides was like, I wanted more the the experience of having children. And I think you and your partner should like, I think it's really helpful to talk to different people who have had children, not had children and what resonates with you more and trust that feeling. We're definitely living in a world definitely more for the women of the societal pressure to like not just have kids, but have the feeling to want to have kids. The way you'll live, I think the happiest life is being true to yourself. And if that's not having kids, then right on. And if it's having kids, right on too. Whichever decision you make, the fact that you're in a good relationship with open lines of communication, that's the most important thing. Usually, I mean, this is a big decision. It's not like you can find like a middle ground, like it's like having kids or not having kids. But I think the process of discussing it um, and being open for both of you guys, where you guys are willing to compromise or not compromise and navigating through that, like, and just communicating, talking it out, being honest is the biggest advice I can give. And one last thing you say, you've been having a hard time um, with some of your friends who are starting to have kids and that you're worried that it's going to trigger you to perhaps want to have them. I think it's good to go and like get a feel for what it's like to be around kids, not just for like an hour, not for like a play date, but like maybe spending an entire weekend with your friends or like an entire day and you get to see the, the joy and pain of parenthood. Yeah, I I actually disagree with that. It's a good experience to see what it's like, but I think that like the feeling of actually having kids is actually just really different that none of us can ultimately know. Um, And that's just the reality of it. But I think just kind of trying to be in tune about what what's actually triggering you, which aspect of it maybe could give you a clearer answer about what you really want to do. And I know Mama B always suggests this, but therapy is really the great one of the great things. So. If you two are not in therapy or if you're not in therapy, you might want to consider, you know, at least a couple sessions um, because that's a great way to figure out what you're actually thinking and why. Good luck. I hope you guys feel good about whatever decision you guys choose. A big thank you to Zach and Shira for sharing their story, not only here, but also on their own podcast. And now here's some advice from my mom. Thanks, Zach and Shira. I think that you telling your story is a very powerful way to help people understand what real life is like. And of course, hello to you, Parental Guidance, and thanks so much for your very important question. I'll start by telling you what I think you've done right. First of all, you have identified the problem And you and your partner are openly talking about it. As I always say, the only problems are the ones we can't talk about. The second reason I think uh, you've done a good job here is that you have been very proactive and you are seeking input. You are very thorough, and I really respect that. Of course, there's always a but, You are consumed and, in your own words, tortured by your own back and forth on this issue. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. It appears to me that your inner voice has been telling you that you're not ready to decide yet, 
And I think you're hearing that message. From my angle, I'm at a disadvantage in my efforts to help you get unstuck. To do my work adequately, I need more information. So if you were my client in my office, I'd ask you both about your family histories, whether you had any traumas as a child or young adult, what your relationship was with your parents. If you were my client, I would know your ages, your fears. If you are happy in your job or career, I would also know what his concerns and his objections are to having a child. In spite of these limitations, I will make one clear recommendation to you. Focus on yourself first. Consider that it's most important that you get unstuck first. On an airplane, if we're paying attention, we may hear to secure your oxygen mask before helping others. If you get your own head straight first, then the next step will become apparent to you. The first step is to clarify your own ideas, aside from his ideas. And I want to emphasize that in this case, you need to be autonomous. I know the relationship is important to you, but sometimes we just need to, what they, what they call in psychology, we need to individuate. It means just completely make a boundary around our own thinking, feelings, and so forth in order to then relate to another person on that same matter. So if your goal is peace and quiet in your head, then you have to work hard to achieve that. Ideally, I want to refer you on to work with someone who can pay attention to all those critical factors that I mentioned earlier. I want you to have the best care that's available from the psychological standpoint. Although I believe you will need someone to hold your hand and guide you through this, I'm not going to recommend talking therapy per se. In general, a person knows when and if they are ready to work with a therapist or a coach or a minister. So that is your own decision, and I think you'll make a good decision. So uh, Becca, maybe you're surprised by uh, my not recommending therapy. I'm sort of curious to hear what your response and reactions and pickleball is. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickleball. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was pretty surprised to hear you not go out and recommend therapy. Yeah, I, I changed my ways. I think uh, that's why we ask individual questions to get individual answers, right? Yeah. I kind of want to make a little like a little song for you that's like, <laughs> If you were my client, if you were my client. Okay. Mm -hmm. Are you going to do it spontaneously right now? or um, I think I just did it. It's done. It's kind of out of my head now. I got it out of my system. <laughs> okay. I got it. All right. I appreciate your advice to this question. I think um, when I read it, I heard a huge amount of guilt, the way that parental guidance feels about her own feelings. So they're kind of like these 
compounded feelings that she's having. Oh, I'm glad you're saying that. There are two references of articles that I found in the popular press and that note that guilt or the things that other people say or do um, is the worst reason to have a baby. I have some comments about parental guidance's question. Good. They have this yearly conversation that they do. Yes. Where they discuss things, a kind of state of the union, if you shall. Right. Isn't that amazing? I think that's really cool. But what if it was less intense? What if you did a weekly state of the union, Hmm. weekly update? Because I think if you are like, oh, we have a place for our feelings. It's once a year. That's when we talk about them. (laughs) You might think of something in January that you can't express until (laughs) November. It's a great idea. In fact, a lot of therapists, a lot of family therapists, couple therapists um, give that task to people. They say, even if it's only five minutes a week. What did you think about Zach and Shira's disagreement in their advice? So, um, Zach was saying, hey, get out there and see some kids. Maybe hanging out with some kids will help you decide whether you want to have kids. And Shira was like, "Mm, I think nothing can help you decide. It's so different. I would tend to agree with Zach. I think if um, parental guidance has some nieces or nephews or even, you know, uh, adopt a a neighbor child and, and offer to babysit or offer to just hang out with them, to get just have both both partners have a sense of how it feels to be with little kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's actually a program called Adopt a Neighbor Child because that is the is best there? name for a program. No, I made that up. It just <laughs> sounds so funny. Adopt a neighbor child. You know, a neighbor that's not full grown. A neighbor <laughs> child. Oh, my Lord. I would like to offer up a few child-free icons, women who have definitely mothered the world without ever burping their own baby. Oh, wonderful. Gloria Steinem, Dolly Parton, hello, Oprah. Oprah, huh? Yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. We do need role models. They take the mothering verb to to awesome levels. They do. You are so right. Remember when we went on that road trip last summer and I subjected you to an episode of Invisibilia that you loved? Oh, I did love it. I did love it. Well, they're out with a new season and they have a double episode about feelings. (laughs) I think I saw that. Both you and Parental Guidance need to listen to it. They talk about the discovery of a new feeling. They talk about a woman who is uh, in the midst of dating and she is so overcome by emotion, she has a physical response. Wow. Wow. I think maybe it would uh, would start it would start parental guidance on her path to oh, that's lovely to some of the other things you recommended. It could be her baby step. I wanted to tell you what my summer project is. Yes, I'm anxious to hear. I, I, you love to surprise me, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to a surprise. <laughs> what are you doing this summer, Becca? So my summer goal is to get back to rock and roll. Are you? Yeah. I love it. Uh, As my mother knows, but maybe our listeners don't, I make music with my husband in a band called Love Jerks. We did something crazy for our wedding about two years ago. We wrote 
a rock opera. Oh, that rock opera wedding. Oh, my goodness. So since the wedding, we've been spending a lot of our newlywed free time working on writing songs together. And so the album is pretty much done. You guys have been working on it. And now we just have to play it live. So we're going to take the summer and get good at playing our show. Really exciting. Oh, my goodness. Since our last episode, since our listeners heard from us last, we have had our lives flipped upside down a bit mm-hmm. by life, yeah. by health. Yeah. So, Mama, I'd imagine your summer projects have to do with that, huh? Yeah, well, it, it's getting back to my normal life. I really, I don't do well when everything is disrupted. For the last few months, I've been a caregiver to my husband, to Rebecca's daddy. So they discovered a cancerous tumor in my dad's kidney, and it needed to be removed. And we're really lucky that the surgery went very well. But the road to recovery was very rocky. He was in and out of the hospital and in and out of rehabs, and he wasn't able to come home for a really long time. Right. But do you want to tell people what's happening tomorrow? Uh, Jerry is coming home tomorrow, and um, he... He is so excited about coming home. Oh, my goodness. He is on a walker, uh, but he's he's just delighted to come home, and he really is starting to look like, uh, you know, our our Jerry, our dad, your dad, and uh, it's lovely. He's very happy, and I'm very happy, obviously. Sometimes the biggest project of progress can be just getting back to our normal lives, and I think that's what you and... Dad are going to try to do this summer, right? Right, you are. And that's one of the hardest projects because <laughs> you don't have a ton of control over it. Yes, but there are a lot of things in life that we don't have control over. And if we bat our head against a brick wall, you know, that's not so smart either. So in these past few months, my top priority has been to keep my morale up and to stay hopeful. And so we want to hear what you're working on this summer as well. And what would a show about making progress be if we didn't leave you with some action items, right? Right. So think about what you want to make progress on this summer and write it down. If my mom has her way, you're going to write it down large scale on a very colorful piece of paper and you're going to put it on your fridge. Oh, awesome. Isn't that a cool idea? Don't make a corny rhyme with it, please, because Rebecca will be offended by that. Yeah, if your summer project is art is fun and you want some, sorry, keep it to yourself. Right. But assuming it's more directive, we would love for you to take a picture and tag us on Instagram where get advice from mom. And we promise to hold you accountable if you tag us in your Instagram photos. <laughs> oh, you you are clever. You are a clever lady. And you might just get included on an upcoming episode of Advice for Mom. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It is produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mastering and mixing by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Audio assistance by Brian P. Garza. The song you heard throughout this episode is called Rebel in Motion by Scissors for Lefty. And our theme music is by your future favorite band, Love Jerks. A giant thanks to the staff at Shadyside Hospital, Paramount Senior Center, Dr. Herbinko, and Dr. Holtzman. And also to my parents' amazingly supportive friends and my mom's amazingly patient clients. 
Our family is so grateful for your help and healing. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. Holy cannoli guacamole. I can't even tell you how amazing it is to meet all you new listeners. So thanks for writing in. Thanks for the reviews. Keep them coming. Tell us what you think. So as grandma always said, first you work and then you play. But just for ultimate confusion, grandma also said eat dessert first. So she was a woman of many messages. (laughs) 